Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this uh, Monday, the 18th uh, of uh, May 2020. We are so delighted to begin, uh, and I believe that this is the beginning of a new series that we're going to begin this week, and we're excited uh, about what God is going to do, and we're so grateful for the things that he has done. Uh, we pray that you had a uh, a blessed weekend with your family, uh, with those that you love around you. And we are looking forward to what God has for us this week. I pray that um, you continually, uh, you continue to tune in with us and uh, help us to spread the word to other family, friends, whom you feel would be blessed with these uh, teachings uh, and, and, and the study of the word that we are, that we are doing in this hour. And we pray that you have your Bible with us as we go into the Word of God and dig in what he has for us today. So, as always, it's always a pleasure to be with our panel, uh, Brother Fernando, Brother Marty. Uh, good to be with you, uh, two men of God, and be able to uh, open up the scriptures today. So, Brother Marty, uh, we'll leave it here with you, and uh, um, we are tuned in and ready to study the Word. Praise the Lord. It's good to be back again on uh, after this weekend. Had a good time with the family and looking forward to another week in the Word. Uh, we're going to be returning uh, to study uh, the continuation of what we started last week, which was the advent of the Antichrist and the coming forth of the false prophet that the book of Revelation chapter 13 tells us about. But we're going to look at it from a different perspective this week, and we're going to see some insights as we get into the Word of God. And so we're going to be coming to you from the book of the prophet Daniel, and it's from there that we'll begin uh, late in the story, but we're going to end up here. And uh, we pray that uh, you'll see some things you haven't seen and, and, uh, and also uh, be encouraged uh, for the coming of the Lord is drawing near. So, Brother Jeremy, yeah. with that in mind, would, would you mind uh, reading uh, for us uh, Daniel, the prophet Daniel, chapter 3, uh, verse 24 and 25, please, if you would. Yes. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spoke and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Praise God. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. We're beginning a new series this week entitled The Fourth Man in the Fire. The Fourth Man in the fire. And we're going to be talking about, like we said, something unusual took place in this story, and and, and that's what we're going to look at. Uh, but in order to understand in-time prophetic fulfillment, if you will, or prophetic events, we need to understand that we are instructed to look at the Old Testament and, and to read the historical accounts in the Old Testament in order that we could understand the the end of the world type things. Uh, as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 10, 
uh, verse 11 and 12, he told us to pay attention to what happened to the children of Israel in the past. He said that what happened to them and the way that God dealt with them uh, were meant to be examples to us. And then he says something in verse 12 that's very interesting. Uh, Brother Jeremy, can you turn over there real quick? In yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, I, I believe it's verse 11 and 12. Okay. Can you read that for us? Yes. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And that's a very interesting last verse that Paul says there, and we learn from it. First, he tells us that we need to study the things that happened to them, and specifically in connection uh, upon things that have to do with the ends of the world, or the end or the conclusion of, of history as we've known it. And then he says in verse 12 that also understand, he says, the reason that we're studying these things is not only to learn uh, what happened to them as it relates to, to prophetic events for whatever generation would be alive at the time that these things would be fulfilled. But he says something very profound there. He says the reason that we also need to do that is so that we can, uh, can you read that verse 12 again, Brother Jeremy? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. So this is the reason that we we look at these examples, and, and, it, and what Paul said there is very powerful, because he says not only you're supposed to learn from the examples, but there's something that you need to learn. And that's that he said that we need to reflect, if we think we're strong enough, then we would have been different or we would have reacted different under the heat and trial of examination uh, of any sort of trial, any sort of test, or any sort of temptation that came to them in the wilderness and in the succeeding years when they became a nation and established the temple in Jerusalem. He said, read these things and understand what was it. In case you think that you're strong enough and you wouldn't have made those things, uh, those same decisions, he says, you better you better think again and really reflect in your spiritual life, um, lest you fall just like they did. And so we're we're right. admonished to look at these things and understand uh, and to examine. The stories are meant to expose within us our strengths, but also our weaknesses. And Paul yes. said it's necessary, right? So that we can reflect um, as we enter into the days that are just ahead of us. You know, we are being called to examine ourselves. We're being called to, to take an open and honest look at where we are with God. And he says, now use those examples of the past as examples uh, that are designed to, to reveal to you what they went through and why they succeeded or why they failed. And he says it's, it's vital. And that if you enter into a place of spiritual smugness where you think that you're all that, yeah, he says you better right. take a second look, right? <laughs> because he says right. you could end up you could end up falling away <clears throat> just as they did. So, like I said at the beginning, we're we're really returning to the Book of Revelation, and we're going to be going back and forth. But as we read last week uh, uh, in, in the series uh, that we did last week, uh, 
we began to explore the emergence of the Antichrist, that one that is predicted to come. And we know from Revelation 13, uh, verse 5, as he, as he emerges and begins to be empowered for the final 42 months of human history, uh, that he immediately sets out to go and to attack uh, the children of God. He starts out by blaspheming the Lord in heaven. He blasphemes his tabernacle, that is his church, and he blasphemes those that have gone ahead of us in heaven. And then it says that power will be given to him to make war with the saints. And so what's being predicted is that for the final third, uh, 42 months of human history, the final three and a half years of human history, the intensity of scrutiny on the children of God will be turned up. And for a brief period of time, the, the wall of protection will be let down. And there's reasons for that. But into this climate, we're also told in Revelation 13, 11, that another one will emerge as well. He's known as, as the false prophet. And as we will look at this in the coming days, one of the things that the false prophet does is he makes an image. He makes an image unto the Antichrist, under the beast system. He institutes what the famous mark of the beast, 666. There seems to be a, a completely uh, renewed reworking of the economy on the planet where no one can buy or sell or trade except they have the mark or the number of the name or they worship the image of the beast. And so <clears throat> we are going to look at those things but in order to do that, like Paul admonished us, let us see and let us go back and examine and see, have these things ever occurred before? And, and, and they did indeed during the time of Nebuchadnezzar, which is where we began reading today. So we need to look at the time of Daniel so we can see that there is a foreshadow of this that we're talking about so that we might understand and, and uh, what, we are, or what we are going to see in Revelation 13, where an image is made to the Antichrist and a whole system of worship is developed. And, and as we go on to see in the story today, what the same thing happened way back when uh, the children of Israel were in, uh, in captivity. Brother Jeremy, can you turn over to Daniel chapter 3, verse, verse 1? Yes. Could you read that for us? Yes. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Yeah, so what we have there is, a, is Nebuchadnezzar's image of gold. And it really is a foreshadow. It's, it's, it's a precursor to what, what the book of Revelation reveals occurs in the final time of human history. It's a return to this image, and we see a foreshadow of it at the time of the captivity in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar the king. But the reason right. that we're looking at this is so that we can understand uh, better what to look for ourselves in our time. I believe these days are not too far ahead. They will come because the Bible says they will. And in, in studying right. these stories, like Paul told us to, uh, we witness how it happened, why it happened, and what we can expect, the kinds of things that we can look for uh, to be signals to us that uh, that we have entered those days. So 
to fully gain, you know, to fully gain insight in these prophetic foreshadows, we need to understand, I think, first of all, that uh, the children of Judah and, and, and its people, we need to understand the background. Understand they are in captivity already when we pick up this story. And yes. and they are under the global empire of Babylon. And so from that right. to begin with, what we can begin to see in the book of Daniel was a, like we've talked about before many, many times, that God declares the end of all things from the very beginning. So what we see is is, is a captivity and a global power dominating the known world of that day. And 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 it's and what we're giving an insight into is is from the perspective of the children of God that are witnessing this and it's from that perspective that we need to understand these events that we're going to look at this week because they're going to really reveal to us what we can expect and what we are even now beginning to see so what we see first of all is they're in captivity when you read chapter 1, you'll see that they were taken captive and brought uh, into Babylon, and ultimately Jerusalem and its temple was destroyed. But, you know, how did they get there? I mean, we need to ask those questions. How did they get into captivity, and why <laughs> did they go into captivity? Remember, these right. are God's people, right? These are God's people that are now being ruled and dominated by a global empire and a wicked uh, foreshadow of the Antichrist known as Nebuchadnezzar. What we know about what God uh, did and, and what we know about his people was that as long as they loved him, as long as they served and followed him, um, they were blessed. They were prospered. They were, they were protected. Right. But over time, when you read the history of the people, what you see is is in their prosperity and in their blessing they began to corrupt themselves they began to fall away from the glorious people that they once had been everything out of the captivity of egypt when god delivered them from slavery and then set them on a journey to the promised land which they eventually came into led by joshua a type of the lord jesus christ and they began to drive the inhabitants out of the land and secure the land that God had given them. All of it was leading to a glorious uh, capital city, which became Jerusalem. King David would design the temple and, and draw the architectural plans and provide the provision for it. But it would be King Solomon under his rulership and leadership that would actually construct the temple over a seven-year period, and he built the most magnificent structure, a, a truly uh, wonder of the world of that day, if you will, and it became the central focus and focal point, the culmination of hundreds of years of, of expansion and development as a nation. So great and glorious was the dedication of that temple that the Bible says when Solomon dedicated the temple and prayed to the Lord, that the glory of the Lord came down in the temple to such an extent that nobody, not even the ministers of the Lord, could stand under the heavy weight of the presence of God amongst his people. So the nation started right. in, in a glorious way, in a great and blessed and magnificent way, with the presence of God at the center of the nation, 
and the temple of God in Jerusalem amongst his people. But over time, what we know from the from the writings of the word of God is, is they began to corrupt themselves. They began to fall away. They began to, rather than truly drive all the nations and the idolatry out from amongst them, they began to partake in their prosperity of the things of the world. And it was a progressive decline from the heights of the original dedication of the temple where God's glory was amongst them to a people that that had ultimately reached the point where they were no longer redeemable, that it was necessary that a judgment would come upon them. And that judgment came upon them in the form of a global system, of a global mm-hmm. empire. Now, prior to that, we know that the Lord had sent many, many prophets to them early. At, at the right. first hint of their compromise, he began to raise up prophets. He began to send prophets to them, warning them of what would come if they didn't repent. They had become so familiar with the things of God that they were comfortable uh, approaching God on the Sabbath days and in the festival days and all the things that they would do at his temple. And yet they were living behind closed doors, uh, a compromised life. And eventually it was no longer behind closed doors. They felt free to come into the presence of God as the generations uh, succeeded from that point to the point where you could no longer make a distinction between those that called themselves the people of God and the, and the heathen pagan nations around them. And as a result of the, that, God raised up prophets. We know that the, the, the nation at the death of Solomon broke up into two pieces. One became Judah and, and Benjamin, known as Judah, and Jerusalem was its capital. And the other ten tribes went off following Jeroboam into Samaria, which became their capital. They built a temple there, dedicated a golden calf, and claimed that was their God. Well, eventually Israel, the ten tribes that broke off, would be carried away captive by the Assyrian Empire. But what we do know is that remained, there remained yet for about another 100 years or so, that that uh, tribe of Judah and Benjamin in Jerusalem. And it was to them, even though they saw what had happened to their brothers who broke off and became a separate nation and how they were carried away captive, they found that they they really were were immune in a sense to the convicting power of God's presence in the presence of their prophets who were preaching to them that if they didn't repent, they would end up just like their brethren who had been carried away by the Assyrian Empire. But they refused. They were they were so callous and so uh, arrogant that they really felt like they were able to uh, to they really thought that because they were Jerusalem and because they were Judah that they were immune from judgment. But God sent right. Isaiah, like the prophet Isaiah, he sent Obadiah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and the great Jeremiah to them. And Jeremiah arose just prior to, to their, to their, their ultimate demise. What we need to understand is that before the captivity, what we're talking about, a falling away occurred. We can put it that way. There had mm-hmm. to be a falling away first. You know, the Bible tells us, if we remember that 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 uh, it is predicted in the last or the end time that a church will emerge uh, that will fall away, and and right. and that that falling away will be necessary 
or actually will be the 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 final component, if you will, um, that emerges just prior to the unveiling of the Antichrist. It is what we see today in a way, right? Except there come a falling away first, the apostle said, then that wicked one will be revealed. Well, the same thing right. happened. You know, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to fast forward a little bit because that's what we're seeing today, whether we realize it or not. You know, America's church has yet to really understand what's happening. And I'm talking about the church right. in America. Right. You know, uh, to many, it seems like like what we're going through in this pandemic and all the stuff that that's even happening now. You know, some states are shut down. Some aren't. You know, a lot of stuff is taking place. Uh, It seems to many like it was a sudden thing that happened. You know, we weren't expecting it. It was it was a surprising thing, an outrageous thing in a way. But I want to tell you something. What we're what we're witnessing today, I believe, is is a. is a global system, just like in the days of Judah, has arisen all around us. And while the church in the West uh, has seen a progressive decline, starting with England and, and, and what once used to be the great churches coming out of the 19th into the 20th centuries, and then the falling away of England, I think what a lot of people forget, man, is that <laughs> England used to be the chief exporter of missionaries around the world. There was a time when the flag of yeah. England, uh, it is said, never saw the sun set upon it, for it went around the world and became a global empire in its own right. But when it began to corrupt itself and when it began to fall away from the blessings that had come upon it because the Lord had blessed it, it, it entered into a severe judgment. I remember the prophet Leonard Ravenhill talking about it because he was there. He witnessed it. God raised up this group of young men that carried a gospel tent from one end of England all the way up into Scotland, and I believe even over into Ireland at times, all they did was walk and and carry these tents in, in, in carts and stuff, and they would come into a city and they they would camp and they'd set up their tent and, and, and they would preach the gospel several years before World War II broke out. And, and they had success you know they had a good move of god so forth and people were repenting and coming to the lord but ultimately they fell away and brother ravenhill talks about the horror that he experienced as a young man in 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 the in the early 40s when world war ii broke out and he and he said i remember coming out of my house and uh hitler had sent his air force and and was and was bombing london and bombing all across England, and we would have never thought that such a destructive thing could come to our land. We were the people of God. We were the great nation that sent missionaries throughout the whole world, he said. And he he talks about graphically coming after one particular bombing campaign, coming out and seeing a, a leg that had been blown up and it was hanging in the tree, just a piece of a leg. You know, he said he saw children under the rubble you know, women dead in the streets. And, and and he talks about the great weeping and lamenting that he felt as he knew that God had extended his hand to the nation a couple decades before, but they refused to turn to him. And ultimate judgment came upon that land for, for many reasons we're not going to get into today. But the point is, except there comes a falling away first, See, what made Judah unique amongst all the nations was that they were a nation that claimed uh, identity with the one true God. 
But right. just claiming the blessing and the presence of the identity of God upon a nation is not enough in the sight of God. Because if you claim his blessings and don't walk before him as you're called to walk before him, he will begin to uh, you know, move by his spirit to plead with that nation, to plead with that people like he did with Israel, like he did with Judah, like he did with England in the early part of the 20th century. And who would have ever thought at least amongst the people of England, like Brother Ravenhill talked about, that that great nation that once had been a bastion of of Wesley and Spurgeon and all them guys, right, uh, would ever see the great, uh, you know, dropping of of judgment, of bombs from their enemies, devastating the nation. It is an unthinkable thing. But when a people that claims to be of God reaches the point of arrogance where even the prophets that are sent to her no longer move her, then the only recourse of the Lord is to remove his presence from them. And when that happens, they are given over to the domination of their society by the pagan world around them. So you see, I see the same thing happening today in America, because the American church is completely devoid of understanding of what is actually happening to it right now. Even now, you know, a global system, a captivity is occurring. Whether they see right. it or not, you know, it's going to accelerate. It's going to get faster and it's going to get worse. That's what I feel the Spirit of the Lord is telling me. And whether they right. they will acknowledge it or not, or even whether they can discern it or not, it's like what happened to Judah of old, because Judah of old refused to repent. And this is the result of a of a pseudo-spiritual, arrogant church today that has refused to listen to God's prophets, who he has sent to us over the last several decades, and who warned that the days that we are witnessing right now would indeed come upon America. But has America's church really reflected on what it's going through? Has it really taken an honest assessment of itself? Has it really embraced Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I'll heal their land. I have anything but seen repentance from the highest office in the land to the smallest little uh, church in the land. All I see is a bunch of people trying to wrap themselves in the flag and stomp their feet and and take upon them some sort of pseudo-Judeo-Christian patriotism and it's found right. wanting. There's nothing there. It's empty. It, dare we take an honest self-examination of ourselves and say, have we done something wrong? Have we actually fallen away to the point that this thing that has come upon our nation, which is far more devastating than just a virus or a plague that has gripped the whole world, what has emerged and is emerging and will continue to emerge is a framework that is now being instituted which will plunge the world into a global captivity. We ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, just because people are coming out of their houses, going back to the beaches and trying to live their lives, it's as if America's church has concluded, okay, it's over with because we say it's over with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but nothing, right? right? <laughs> but nothing's right. over, man. <laughs> it's just going to get worse, man. And, and and that's why we're, <laughs> we're go ahead, brother. Say something. <laughs> you know, you know, people. You know, today you you hear them. You, the 
the so-called prophets of, of America can prophesy all they want that America is going to be revival, that this too shall come to pass, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't right. change nothing, the condition. Until that changes, until we grab a hold of what you're talking about, Second Chronicles 7, if my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves. It's not just saying I'm sorry and that's it. No, it turn from your wicked way. Then, he says, I shall hear your prayers. Mm -hmm. Then yeah. I can heal your land. But until that happens, <laughs> you can prophesy, pray fast, uh, uh, get around your victory chant and so forth, it's going <laughs> to amount to nothing, right? Yeah. It, you yeah. know, I, I, I think about the days of Nehemiah, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, you know, when, when he found himself in the king's, uh, uh, he was a cupbearer, right? And he asked about his brothers in Judah, and, and the news that he got was that they were uh, in great affliction and reproach. You know, the walls of Jerusalem were, were broken down. And the gates yeah. uh the gates were, 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 were burned with fire. This is the condition that they were in. And this caused Nehemiah to seek the face of God just like Daniel did, right? Yeah. And, and 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 that's the uh I'm gonna say, I don't know what word to use, but that's that's vital. That's what's missing today. The prayer of, of of the Daniel of the Nehemiahs, you know, who prayed, you know, for yeah, their nation. Yeah. That's the component that's missing of a repented heart of understanding the magnitude, you know, of what is truly taking place even here now in America. We're yeah. blinded. We have accepted our our condition. We're blinded, and and who you know, it, it, there are a few voices that are that are declaring the truth of what is yeah. really going on. Yes. Yeah. No, you're so right. Brother, Brother Fernando, you have anything, thoughts to contribute to that? No, it, it's it's what we've been harping on um, for, I don't know how many podcasts now. Yeah, 40-something, think about that. But what we're trying to bring forth and what, what you've, been, you've been trying to bring forth is that um, that that principle that he declared the end from the beginning that we are to take notice um, yes. to what took place in the past, and mm -hmm. so we can have understanding and light as it regards uh, what's taking place today. So uh, everything that that led up to the days of Daniel, uh, it's almost like we're fulfilling it. You know, right. we, we are in essence heading to our own spiritual captivity. Yeah, right? yes. we we are there. We are there. Right. Um, so it's it's amazing how the Bible gives us the patterns or or harbinger of sorts. Like, hey, look, if if you're not careful, you're you're, you're falling into these patterns of of ancient Israel, and in America, you are replaying these 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 very very signs out in your own uh, time. And so this is this is what we're bringing forth, right? It's a principle yeah. that's found in Isaiah chapter 46. He declares the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, um, the end or uh, the end from ancient times. Yeah, right? that's what we're talking about here. So it's something that we, we're continuously harping on. All right, so right. We, we want the listener to pay close attention. 
we are, in essence, uh, in the days of Daniel. And, and right. we have to pay attention to what he did, what he saw, right? And, and in doing so, uh, we will have much clarity and understanding concerning our days today. Yeah, and, and that's why, Brother Marty, in First Corinthians, which you had me read, uh, the, the admonition that the Apostle Paul gives us, that all these things happen for our examples. They weren't just written there just, you know, to have history written there. No, no. They were written for our admonition, he says, as we read, right? Upon yes. whom the ends of the world are come. That's why wherefore, yes. he says, let him that think it, <laughs> he stand it. America, you think you stand it. Take heed. Take heed, lest mm-hmm. he fall. So, you know, that's a powerful verse too, a powerful admonition, you know, that we, we read with the Apostle Paul. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right what you what you're saying because you know as as we go on in this thing, uh I think that you know, one of the things I want to express is that we don't just dig into these stories or or share these thoughts that we do every day um because I haven't got anything else to talk about. <laughs> it's right. uh I mean, there's so many. Th- I mean, we could talk about whatever you want to talk about in the word, but but we continually are being brought back to this as we're compelled and urged uh, by the Holy Spirit in our in our spirit. It's as if He right. has put put a bit in my in my mouth, in your mouth, and, and other servants around the world, really, in this country, and and is driving us uh, to continually revisit the subject. And and again, from all and, and, and different angles, try to point out what it is that, that the Lord is, is trying to say. It's not a matter of, remember this, that just before Babylon came down and, and, and took them captive and ultimately would burn the city to fire and take the people captive, which is a type of, 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 of the attack that will come upon the church in the last days, in these days, in our time, I believe. Uh, is that he raised up prophets. He raised up Jeremiah, uh, who basically told them, you know, your time is over. You just don't realize it. You just don't right, get right. it. You know, right. and, and, and there was false prophets who rose up in the face of Jeremiah and and, uh, and, and, and and tried to counteract his word. Even after, for those of you who know history, and you can Google it and check it out, even after Jeremiah, I mean, after uh uh, Nebuchadnezzar came the first time and took a certain portion of the population captive. He still hadn't destroyed uh, the city or the temple. And he took uh, Jehoiakim, the, the king, Jehoiakim, I think, it, the king, captive the first time. And Jeremiah rose up and began to tell them, okay, it's coming in just a matter of a few years. The whole thing is going to completely be taken captive. And there was a false prophet who rose up and, and, uh, and began to contramand the word that that Jeremiah was giving, and he even did an illustrated sermon. Right? Uh, he he went. Uh, Jeremiah was Jeremiah was wearing this yoke on his neck because because the people were so hard by that time that, that God said, "Look, I'm going to have you do something so outrageous here. Maybe this will get through their heads." Right? So he has him put on this yoke, like they would put a yoke on a on a horse or an ox that would plow a field. And he had him walk around like that, wearing this yoke, trying to get them to understand your sins have placed you in captivity, and you're like a like a like an animal is is led 
uh, you know, with a yoke on it. So you're about to be led away under chains and, and captivity to a faraway land because of your sins. And you need to begin to prepare your heart for what's coming. Now, false prophets would rise up and say, no, it's going to be completely different. And as a matter of fact, one of the false prophets says, two years from now, he says, uh, God's going to send a revival. Our king that was taken captive is going to come back, and all the treasures that they took is going to become come back. And And Jeremiah said, I hope it's so. But the truth is, it ain't going to be so, <laughs> and and everybody's going to go away. And he says, you, you're going to know, you're going to know the true word of God when it happens. What is really sad to me, and where I see see such parallels, is that the United States, its church. Now we're talking to the church, both the compromised church and those of you that know what we're talking about is true. The compromised church is already experiencing a, a, a captivity it's already under judgment and it just doesn't get it it really doesn't get it either we are telling you the truth or they are but the truth is right. i know i know what we're hearing because everything we're telling people we're taking out of the word of god and showing you this is what the lord is saying these are the patterns this is what's happening now to one it'll make them harder and they'll ignore. But to the other, it's life. It's not meant to be fearful. It's not meant for sensationalism or to send, you know, fright into your mind and heart. It's meant to prepare us, and it's meant to guide us. Like Jesus said, so when these things come to pass, you'll draw strength from the fact that I told you ahead of time. And so that is why we're going to these stories, because they parallel and they they foreshadow exactly what the book of Revelation said would happen in our time. And and why we go back and look at the stories is so that we can glean uh, information and insight into, into what to expect and how to respond to it as a child of God. And that's why we glean insight from the story. So, Brother Jeremy, right. can, you read chap- can you read again uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1? Yes. Here we go. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Yes. So one of the things we want to learn there, I was was researching this this morning, and I came across a quote from from an ancient rabbi. I think he lived in like the... 15th century or 1400, something like that. Uh, his name was uh, Ramban, Ramban, Rabbi Ramban. And he pointed out something that was really interesting. It just went off in my spirit. He reminds us in his writings, he says that that the name of Daniel is important to understand because Daniel's name literally means God is my judge. And what he wrote about that was interesting. He said, Daniel lived at a time of judgment. His name expressed the recognition that Israel's fate was not a random act. And I thought that was so profound because he's saying that that Daniel was named by God specifically as a sign. and, And it was meant to be instructive to us. His name means God is my judge. And he said what that reflected 
was that what happened to Israel was understood from the perspective that it is not the nations of the world, it's not the, the global empire, it's not any of the other forces that are, that are being used to bring me into this state. The truth of the matter is, is that God is the judge, and it is him that's allowing this to take place. And that yeah. got me to thinking that, you know, <clears throat> what we're being told in the book of Revelation is that a final generation will witness these things. I believe we are that generation, and it, it's already begun. And the first thing we need to wrap our head around is what the book of Revelation predicts, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there is the opening of the fifth seal in Revelation 6 that lets us know that an intense uh, persecution and, and a climate of, of trial will come upon the children of God. And in Daniel's case, in Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's case, and, and those who, who yielded to the Spirit of God uh, as these things began to happen, they were a generation that experienced the judgment that came upon the known world of their day. And this is going to be really hard for a lot of people within the confines of the church who have never heard this kind of teaching. It makes them nervous, especially in the West, because we've been fed a, a, a whole boatload of theological lies that tell the church in the West that it's not going to have to endure or go through anything and that it's going to somehow uh, escape all the perils that are coming uh, because it's, it's some kind of favored child of God. In the meantime, it is so myopic that it refuses to look at its brothers and sisters around the world who have been enduring great persecution for decades, whether it be in, right, in the right. East or in Africa or in China you know, or the, <laughs> anywhere around the world where brothers and sisters are literally dying every single day for their faith. But because right. the West lives in such a prosperous, uh, you know, way, a, an easy kind of laid back way with tremendous blessing, it thinks it's immune to this. And it thinks it exclusively is the church, but it has another thing coming. Now, there is a generation that will understand like Brother Jeremy quoted last week from Daniel chapter 12, two classes of believer are going to emerge in this time. One is identified as the wicked amongst the believers, and one is identified as the wise. They will understand what's happening. And it is our desire to be in that kind of a position as the workers in the house of God to tell you who are listening, we have entered those days. We are appointed unto certain prophetic events that may not line up with the current theology of the day, but it is the scripture and it is being revealed and those who can hear it will hear it and adjust themselves accordingly. Now, to me, this truth that the rabbi expressed like we were talking about, uh, it, it, it should be an anchor for our souls because as we enter the days ahead, it's going to be our God, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed Holy Spirit, that, that we need to understand that they are in total control. No matter what it may look like in the days of he ahead, you have to know that God is in control. That is what Hallelujah. John said in Revelation chapter 13, verse 10, where he says, such a thing is coming, he says, but this herein is the faith and the patience of the saints. 
if your soul isn't anchored in the thing that has been revealed, or if you're completely unaware of it, and events of the day that have been prophesied and foretold overtake us, you will not have an anchor for your soul. And you will, like Jesus said, because iniquity is going to abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. A trial has begun, and it's going to increase. And we're doing our best in the little corner of the world that we have some sphere of influence in to tell our brothers and sisters, you don't have to be afraid, but you better prepare. It is time for all of us to examine ourselves before this heat gets turned up to a place where you never thought it would it would reach a level like that. But this is meant to be an anchor for our soul, a recognition that God's uh, order and the things that are coming upon this planet, they're not some sort of random act by some uh, dystopian, monolithic imposition of the cultural zeitgeist of the day, but it is in fact all under the control of God Almighty and for his ultimate purpose, which is judging the wicked and doing away with all ungodliness. It will result in the return of the Lord. And that's why Jesus said, when you begin to see these things happen, look up, lift up your heads for your redemption yes. draws nigh, right? I mean, this is yes. our faith. And in the name of Jesus, this is what is going to cause us to endure. Strengthen us, Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we need your strength. Mm-hmm. All right, so enough preaching. Let's take a look, at a brief look. And this is, again, this is just the opening uh, of a series this week. <clears throat> We're going to look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Now, what do we see there? What Brother Jeremy met, read is that we have a, a despotic king, a ruler of the world, a really a foreshadow of the Antichrist, Nebuchadnezzar. He makes an image of gold. And and that image is exactly a foreshadow of the image that we're told is going to be made in the book of Revelation, right? An image is going to be made to the beast, to the Antichrist. And so that's what we're witnessing here. And remember, it's not an image of clay. It's not an image of bronze or iron. It's an image of gold. Gold right. in the scripture always signifies deity or, or God, right? It signifies, it, it signifies deity. And, and that is what the Antichrist will claim to be. He wants to be worshipped as God. It, it, it's a foreshadow of that image that's yet to come. And there's something interesting next that is mentioned. It says, it says that his height, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, his height is three score cubits, and the breadth of it is six cubits. <clears throat> now remember this, in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 18, John tells us, here's the mind that has wisdom, right? Uh, let, let him uh, that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and it is the number six hundred, three score, and six. So whenever you see 60 and 6 and 600 in the Bible, uh, or in your Bible when you're reading, take note, because there's something there that the Holy Spirit has placed in his word that is trying to reveal to us something concerning the the final global empire uh, and, and the Antichrist himself. And so part of the clues that are being left by John for us to look at contain the number 660 or 6. And here we see that the height of this image 
that Nebuchadnezzar makes is is 60 cubits or or three score cubits, which is 60. So we see a number of the Antichrist emerging in this image. And really, it was a prophecy of the image that is yet to come. And then the breadth of it, the width of it, right, is six. That's what he says. We have 60 and six right there. And mm. and so we're missing a six, right? If you want to complete the six, six, six. Well, we see that, and, and we'll talk about this tomorrow more, but in verse five, can you read verse five, Jeremy? That it says uh, that at what time ye hear the su- the sound of a cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up. Okay, so what we're first told about the image is that it's sixty cubits high. The width of it is six cubits, and so we're looking for the final six, right? And we see it in verse five, uh, when right. when six I, six specific musical instruments are mentioned as as the chief instruments. It's it's the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sabut, the psaltery, the dulcimer. That's six different chief musical instruments. So you have sixty cubits high, six cubits wide, with six chief musical instruments included in the worship of this thing and there we have it six sixty six and six 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 it is a foreshadow of that end time image and what we learn from it is very interesting well one thing we learn in verse five is that music is going to be a chief component of the antichrist system that's a heavy duty thing because <laughs> we could talk about the progressive declension, if you will, or the falling away, even within the confines of, of the Western Church, in how we have changed the worship in the house of God. It's fallen from Jesus and the blood and all that good stuff, right, to God knows what it is now. It's more esoteric and about streams and waterfalls and the wind. I mean, usually one of those words is in there. <laughs> but the point yeah. is is we've seen a falling away of the music. And and it's a chief component in Revelation chapter 13, 4. Remember we were studying last week that worship is involved in bringing about the worship of the, uh, uh, of the beast and the Antichrist. And here we see a foreshadow of it. So we can begin to learn and draw clues from this. Remember what John said. We're supposed to count or calculate the number of the beast, and, and, and it requires wisdom and understanding. And so he's saying much more than simply adding up a few numbers. He's trying to direct our attention to hidden wisdom and understanding that's given by the Spirit. And why we're looking at this is because if we begin to see these kinds of things transpire in a spiritual nature that that is the opposite of seeking and worshiping God within the confines of the culture at large, it is a signal to us that we're approaching those days, I think we've already begun to see this. The height of it is three score cubits. The breadth of it is six. And verse five reveals the additional six, 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 six. It's a foreshadow of what's coming. And and, and it's revealed, like we just said, in Revelation 13, eight. Now, there's something else that I was reading and researching here and found very interesting, and I wanted to share with it. One of the rabbis said, 
that the reason that Nebuchadnezzar erected the image uh, to be uh, 60 cubits high, they broke it down and, and believed that, that what Nebuchadnezzar was actually doing, and, uh, was, and I see it as a hidden prophecy, actually, is that he was taking uh, increments of 10 and multiplied it by 6 because it represented the, the six epochs, if you will, of human history in relation to global empires. Remember mm. what he saw in his original image? He saw the image in Daniel chapter 2. Those of you who aren't familiar, you can go read about this image that he saw. He saw an image uh, that had a head of gold, arms and chest of silver, uh, a, a belly and, and loins of brass, two legs of iron, uh, legs of iron, and then uh, feet of iron and clay. And and those particular components of the image he saw in his dream represented the the major global empires of the of human history. And so what he saw was was Babylon was the head of gold, and then there was the Medes, uh, and then followed by the Persians. That's three empires, followed by the Greek Empire, which was represented by the brass, followed by the Roman Empire, represented by the legs of iron, followed by a partly weak, partly strong empire at the end of time, uh, which are the feet and toes of iron and clay. Now, if you add that up, that comes to six. And so they believe that each uh, one of those empires was 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 being represented in the image that he erected. And the reason he made it 60 cubits high and all gold is what he was attempting to do, influenced by the devil in his day, was to create an image all of gold as if to say, I will endure forever and none of these kingdoms will be allowed to come to pass. And and he understood something at a much deeper level, because what he was actually doing was trying to prevent. Would you read what he what what it says in verse forty five of chapter two, brother Jeremy? Yes, it says, uh, "For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it broke in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold." The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. But Nebuchadnezzar saw, after he saw his initial image that was comprised of gold, silver, brass, iron, and then iron mixed with clay, what was revealed to him was that each one of those succeeding uh, parts of the image that he saw uh, would be a, a global empire. And then at the end, when he saw the feet of iron and clay, he also saw something extraordinary. He saw a stone that was cut out of a mountain without hands and that it hit the image on the feet, crushing all uh, of the image into powder and the wind comes and drives it away. Well, we know that that stone that he saw was the Lord Jesus uh, himself. He's the stone. He's the chief cornerstone, right? He's the one yes. uh, that, that is cut out of the mountain of God without hands. He, he, he is, he's the God-man. And what Nebuchadnezzar yes. was attempting to do, in addition to preventing the other world empires from emerging, by constructing this golden image, which was a highly satanic thing to do and motivated by the devil, 
was an attempt to prevent the stone uh, from coming and smiting the image. If he could thwart all those kingdoms, then that, that stone cut out of the mountain would not be able to come. That is one of the reasons he was he was trying to uh, erect this this uh, this image uh, to prevent the seventh kingdom from emerging, which is the kingdom of God. And if this is so, and I believe it is, then this is basically telling us as well that we are nearing the end because all these kingdoms have emerged, with the exception of the kingdom of the feet of clay and iron, right, which is where we're at right now. But in order to really understand this even more profoundly. Uh, we have to look at, at at where he set the image up in 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 right. Daniel chapter three right. verse one. Where is? Can you read that, brother Jeremy? Yeah, it's in a verse one, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he said he, he set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. And 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 where is Dura located? If you could read to me Daniel chapter one, uh, verse two. It is it is located. The Bible says here, uh, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the yeah. house of his God. So Shinar is what he says. Right. It, it's look. Dura is located in the land of Shinar, and and in my research, and I don't have time to get into all of it. You guys can research it on your own. Those of you that are listening. The place where he erected it was the land of Shinar, and the place where he set up his image was the exact place where once the Tower of Babel had stood in the plains of Shinar. So we see that thread. Remember we were talking about Nimrod and and, and the Silicon Valley connection and all that stuff last week? Well, (laughs) here Nimrod emerges in obscurity, right? What is it? you know, that they're trying to do and, and, and how the connections run through. This is why uh, John says this requires wisdom, this requires understanding. And so we see all the components. This is why I believe that, that the Nimrod connection goes all the way to the Antichrist, because Nebuchadnezzar is attempting to do the same thing that, Neb- that, that Nimrod did in a different form. He wants to be the object of adoration he wants to be the focus. He he could care less about opening portals and all that kind of stuff, right? He just wants to be worshipped. That is the arrogance of the Antichrist. He says, I'm above Marty, all kingdoms. I'm above all people, yes. Yeah, and just to confirm to our audience who have not listened to that one, in Genesis 11, 2, speaking about Nimrod and, and the people that followed him, is that they found a plain in the land of of Shinar. And they dwelt there. So what we see here in Daniel, it's almost like a continuance of, of what was left off, right? Yes, uh, you're right. From the Tower of Babel, here it, it reappears again, yes. right? And yes. that's the first thing the Bible, uh, you know, like points out in Daniel 1 is that, remember what happened there the last time we read about it, you know, what happened there, a tower and now this spirit arises again in, in this empire, Babylon, in, in that yes. same place where everything happened in, in uh, Shinar. Way back. Yeah, way back in the land of Shinar. And, and what you just said there, uh, Brother Jeremy, is, is really good because what we are witnessing and what the book of Revelation is predicting is that as we enter into the final days, that what we are witnessing is a culmination of multiple attempts by the enemy to, to dominate and, and, and control the planet. 
And so we've actually picked it up here uh, in the fourth in the fourth age, if you will, because we had Nimrod's uh, global attempt uh, at a global empire. And then we had Egypt, right? We had their attempt with, through Pharaoh and all mm-hmm. that. And then came the Assyrian Empire led by Sennacherib uh, in, in his time. And then came Babylon, which is where we are now. And then followed Babylon will be followed by the Medes and the Persians and then Alexander the Great and then the Great terrible beast unlike any other before it which is the roman empire only to emerge again at the end kind of a mixture of all seven kingdoms at once uh compiling their collective uh you know rebellious power and and investing it into one final end time global attempt and global system headed up by the son of the devil himself known as the antichrist and his assistant the false prophet so it is a thread that runs throughout the history of the world of the world and throughout the history of prophetic biblical scripture. And so we see this mad king Nebuchadnezzar fulfilling the type of the Antichrist, even to the point of the six 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 that we've already discussed, and where he sets up this image was specific. He's trying to uh, draw upon all that has gone before him and all the mystical knowledge of what once was. Everything is involved in this, and it's an attempt to thwart the prophetic word of God as it was revealed to him by Daniel. It's quite possible why he didn't include Daniel in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel is is strikingly missing from this whole event. I think Nebuchadnezzar didn't want him around, but that's that's just my own speculation, right? So, so then what happens? After he sets up the image, and after he you know does this whole trip, you know, this 666 thing, in the plains of Dura, where the Tower of Babel was built, then comes verse 2. What is verse 2, Brother Jeremy? Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together um, the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Amen. So, First of all, it's really interesting to me because the list that is given of the rulers and the governors and the captains, the judges, the counselors, and the sheriffs, that adds up to seven, which is very interesting. Yeah. And those of you, you know, right, if you if you know the the scripture, and, and, and this is a little more advanced scripture study than, than normal for, for, for a lot of people, but, but the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation 13, verse 1, that the beast that rises up out of the sea has seven heads, right? Well, here we see a foreshadow of that because the list that is given that that comes and has been invited to come, uh, seven specific offices are mentioned. And and so we see a hint, if you will, of that future seven-headed beast that's invested into the one image or the foreshadow of the Antichrist. And, and and what is what is really revealed here, right? Because what we're told in the book of Revelation, and where I believe we are right now, actually, this is why we're we're looking at these things, because if we compare Scripture with Scripture, we're going to be given insights into what to to look for and what to anticipate, and also almost as if the curtain has been pulled back and we're able to see behind the scenes. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar does here; he he's calling for the for the global elite, right? He's calling for the rulers. He's calling for the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the counselors, and the sheriffs before he introduces this to his whole province. 
and to all the nations and languages that he rules, before he makes it known to all the people at large, first he calls the elite. And they have their, their own, yes, behind the scenes kind of a, of a dedication that's about to take place. See, what most people don't know and what the asleep in the church don't realize is a lot of stuff's been going on behind the scenes. And when it is sprung on you, it's going to be a collective springing and, and every level of everything, of every structure of society will have already been put into place. And suddenly it'll come upon you. My goodness, even the president of the United States just the other day kind of let slip out as he was on his way to his helicopter. I've mobilized the entire army, the entire military, to forcefully vaccinate every person in the United States with this supposed vaccine that they're developing, uh, you know, for this crazy virus that's taking place all over the world. He said, did you hear him say that, guys? He said that he has the entire United States military already being uh, assembled for deployment by January, if not sooner, which means they're going to come to, they're going to come to your house and force you to take this vaccine. That's what he said. He said the entire U S military and other forces, whatever he meant by other forces, I have no idea, but that came out of his mouth. And, and that's just an American. What's happening? You go Google it later and check it out. You'll see the video of him saying that. And he literally said that. So what are they doing? In essence, what the Bible is revealing to us as it pertains to what the book of Revelation says, we learn in the same event that happened back in the days of Babylon, that a coming together of the global power elite, the rulers of the day, uh, a ceremony of of dragon-like proportions took place in secret amongst the elite. And the Bible predicts the same thing is happening, has happened, and continues to happen in our day and in our time. So what do we right. see? We see the hand we see the hand of the enemy is working in verse two. See, the people are just going about their regular day business over there in Babylon in this story we're reading, right? But they have no idea that at the highest levels things have already been set in motion. It's it's the working of Satan. The clock is ticking. Right? right. This is the working of Satan. That's how Paul puts it in Second Thessalonians chapter two, right? that the revelation of the Antichrist will be after the working of Satan. It's something that happens behind the scenes and then is sprung on humanity. But I want us to consider this. Because understand, what are we headed here? Because what is this whole story about, really? It's about three Hebrew children and a fourth man in the fire, right? So what this was designed to do, what Satan was moving on the elite of that day to do at the global level was to create this kind of a system. But what it was designed to do was to destroy God's church, to destroy God's servants, represented by Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known by their Gentile name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? In In their case, it was going to be a trial by fire. Remember what we said. The Apostle John in Revelation chapter 6, verse 5, speaks of the opening of the fifth seal. And in Revelation chapter 13, these events are going 
to repeat themselves like it happened then for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The tactic is the same. In the book of Revelation, as we go over this week, we'll see. The tactic is the same. An image is going to be created. And the, and the goal of making this image is to expose the real church, the real Israel, right? To expose God's people because we can never, ever worship anything but God. And this was designed, this was an attempt by Nebuchadnezzar, by the devil even back then, to remove from the earth anyone who worships God. They were attempting to prevent the worship of the true king, right? And and that's what they're going to yeah. try and do in our day. That's what the devil, that's what this is all about. That's what this 666, this global system, this police state, all this stuff, that's what it's about. It's going to dig out the real from the false. And right. and and in, in so doing, it's really a delusional attempt by the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet into thinking that it can prevent, just like Nebuchadnezzar was thinking, it, it can prevent the establishment of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the earth. It's going to fail. But remember this, brothers, these boys that are going to come forth, that we're going to see in the story as we look tomorrow, they had to endure the fire. And what right. the church in this country doesn't want to understand, and it'll go on playing its stupid false prophet party, and 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 like we talked about, you know, they're preachers that love to tap dance and wear hair gel, and have no message for the people. <laughs> I mean, this kind of mega church, backslidden, compromised, falling away church is going to wake up and realize, my God, uh, we we're, we're we're already uh it's already too late you know and 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 what the what the true church of Jesus Christ will will know like Hananiah Mishael and Azariah is what they go on to say right is they say you know we know God can deliver us from this trial but even if he doesn't we're not going to bow to your image we're not going to take your mark we're not going to we're not going to allow you to uh to to uh to compromise our stance before our God. And if we have to go through the fire, then we have to go through the fire. They went through the fire. And it's a foreshadow. It was a prophecy way back then that that like like then, uh, even so now, we we are being called to the same thing quite possibly. It's already begun. Go ahead, brother. Um, Brother Marty, uh, you know, today in the modern day church, when they they preach on the three Hebrew children or Daniel, you know, it's it's, it's a topic message on on unwavering faith, right? <laughs> and but but yeah. they never really, you know, how, how to how to have unwavering faith in the midst of trials, and you know, the trials that the preachers today speak of is maybe you're having a trial at work, maybe you need a a raise or something, maybe you know those kind of issues, but right. but no, this is this is talking about persecution, right? This yeah. is this is yeah. real deal persecution, you know that that are left as examples in the book of Daniel, uh, that that are prophetic of what will take place in the last days. Now yeah. again, and we go back, we go back to what you what you were saying. This doesn't line up with the, with you know the eschatology of 
of the church today because we have been teaching uh, the people of God here in the West that we're not going to endure any of these things, that we're going to be raptured away and so forth and so on. And, and we, because of it, we've, we've created this elitist mentality, you know, and we've dared to preach to uh, the nations of the world that are suffering persecution, that they are going through things, they have no prosperity, they're going through persecution because they don't have faith. <laughs> they don't have yeah. name it and claim it faith. Think about that's that, good, how stupid, how stupid and ludicrous that is. Yeah, and how evil, you right? Know? <laughs> yeah. So, 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 yeah. It it, it 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 may feel at times when we speak about these things about these things that you know half of the church world doesn't want to hear it or more, right? But this is what the Bible is saying, and it lines up with the Book of Revelation. That's where we're going to make a connection with uh, in the yeah. days of Daniel. Because we, yeah. we went to the beginning, to the days of Nimrod, we see this uh, reappearing of this spirit that takes over uh, Nebuchadnezzar, right? And, and he's yeah. a type of antichrist here. And, and he's a foreshadow of, of, uh, of the one that is to come. But Daniel, the Hebrew children, the three Hebrew children are representative of an end time church. And whether you realize it or not, this is where we're headed, uh, uh, saints of God, those who are listening. Right, and some of you are still kind of nervous, you know, and 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 thinking, man, you know, are we really going to go through this? Uh, you know, you're probably asking, is, is, is Pastor Jeremy's brother Fernando's brother Marty's eschatology correct? You know, yeah, <laughs> are we going exactly. to endure these things? Absolutely, mm-hmm. it's already happening. Yes, it's already happening all around the world to our brothers in China and the Middle East and East Africa. You know, uh, and 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 in other parts of the world, this is happening. It just hasn't right. happened here yet in America. You know, so yes, yes this, this this is this is speaking about true persecution. It's not just a test of faith. You know, this is really happening. So just wanted to bring that forth, brother. No, that's that's exactly yeah. right. And, and then, you know, yeah. tomorrow we're going to go deeper, you know, as we get into part two. And, and, and we're going to explore uh, what actually lies ahead because the parallels are striking and they were prophecies of an end-time generation. You know, I always used to wonder, and, and I don't know if you'll concur with this, brothers, but I always used to wonder why the Lord or the Holy Spirit uh, allowed uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah uh, to be called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the scripture, you know mm-hmm. that. And 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 when this story is given in Daniel chapter three, they're not referred to by their Hebrew names; they're referred to by their Gentile names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so I think what we are witnessing there, with with the wisdom and understanding of the Spirit, we pray is that what was being said was that a Gentile church would experience a similar trial. Now, while they were Jewish, they chose, that is, the Spirit of God chose to, uh, in their Jewishness, address them by their Gentile name in the account of this story, because both Jew and the Gentile church yeah, will be yeah. experiencing this. You understand? So that, that, that's right. what I think that God is hiding in this story. But lest we, lest we, right, lest we find discouragement and freak out, right, you know, uh, that is why we started where we started. And Brother Jeremy, can you, 
can you close with that? And, and then I, I'll, I'll just close with a couple thoughts, and then you guys finish it out. Yes. Uh, what scripture, Brother Marty? Uh, verse 24 and 25 of chapter 3. Okay. Right here. Okay. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was uh, astonished and rose up in haste and spoke and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Praise God. So what we see Hallelujah. here is, is a prophecy, right? Uh, it, is, it, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24? I think it was, uh, it was somewhere around the 15th through the 20th verse in there somewhere. He said, except those days be cut short, no flesh would be saved, he said, but for the elect's sake, those days will be cut short. And we see we see that in this story. These these uh these Hebrew children went into the fire, but it was it was the Lord himself who came in the midst of the fire and rescued them. And what is said after this is that Nebuchadnezzar goes on to tell everybody, There is no God like this. And and all and anyone who speaks against him will 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 be judged. Well, that's what's coming because the Bible tells us that that uh, every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus right. Christ right. is Lord, to the glory of right. God the right. Father. Jesus is coming for His church, and some of some of the church, which is already experiencing it, is going to have to endure a trial. But it is only for a moment. It is a temporary thing. And it is also taught to us that by our very rejection of all that would seek to preserve our life in the sense of we have to embrace what the world says and reject God, we say no. And we know the word. And by so doing, just like Father Noah, the very actions of our rebellion against a system and a world gone mad is a declaration that there is a kingdom that is coming. There is a righteous king and a righteous judge that is coming to execute judgment upon all the rebellious, to wipe away every tear, to fill up the joy of the heart of the desperate who in their faith refuse to bow the knee or to take the mark or to participate in a system that strips it of the sanctity and holiness of their God. It is time for us to understand that we must prepare ourselves as the children of God for what lies ahead. For herein is the faith and the patience of the saints. Let him that has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let us gather around in the, in the, in the fellowship of his suffering, in the hope that we would attain under the resurrection that is coming. For a new world is coming, a new heaven, a new earth, and it's reserved for those who are willing and understanding that he will be with us in the fire. I am with you always, he said, even until the end of the world. Even so, come quickly, Lord, we pray. Tune in again tomorrow. We pray for part two as we dig deeper into this story. And you're going to see some amazing things and, and some hope and some great anticipation of the great things that are ahead for the glorious church. Would you finish, brothers? Amen. What a 
what a tremendous way to start our week, my brothers and, and all the listeners, uh, with this tremendous uh, story that we find of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and really understanding, beginning to understand the connection and how throughout history the attempts of the enemy trying to um, to 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 gain that which he will do in the book of Revelation in these last days. But um, praise God, because that's the confrontation that we're heading to in these last days. But it shall fall. Babylon shall fall. Hallelujah. That's the hope. Jesus Christ is coming, the victorious king, and we will overcome if we are faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you today. We hope to uh, be that you will be with us tomorrow as we begin this week in our study of the word. May God bless you and keep you and keep looking up.